0: Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Today for Spirit in Action, we're going to take a look at a local manifestation of a national movement born in the days following Donald Trump's election as president. Some congressional staffers wrote up a handbook for the Indivisible Movement, drawing on lessons learned in the formation and growth of the Tea Party, but based on progressive thought and calling to resistance against the intentions of our new president. I sit down today with a couple participants of that movement, but first I want to urge you to get to the northernspiritradio.org website to fill out our listener survey. In order to do our work well, it helps to know who's listening. If you go to Nordenspiritradio.org and fill out our listener survey, we'll enter you in our drawing for your choice of either a $25 cash prize or some really wonderful Norden Spirit Radio merchandise, T-shirt and tote bag. I want to thank you in advance for filling out that survey, but on to the first of three segments about the Indivisible Movement as it has manifested here in the Chippewa Valley. We'll start off talking to Rachel Hart Brinson, one of the communications contacts for Indivisible Chippewa Valley. Rachel, it's wonderful to have you here today for Spirit in Action.
1: Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here.
0: My understanding is, Rachel, that you're one of the founders, that you were among the initial coalescence of activists who became Indivisible Chippewa Valley. What led you here? Could you give me a little bit of your history with the group?
1: Well, after the election of Donald Trump, there were a lot of feelings of, well, all sorts of things from me and my friends, and largely there was just a feeling that we had to do something And I think that was a large part of the desire to start something like Indivisible. My husband and I did a lot of discussing about what we should do, could do to try to tell a different story than what Donald Trump seemed to have in his very large microphone as presidential candidate and president. And so we were looking at options about what we could get involved in. And Peter found the Indivisible handbook on the computer and read it and said, I think this is it. It's all about social connections. He's a sociology professor. So, social movements are kind of something he is interested in. We looked at it and, and thought, oh, this is a possibility. What else, you know? And then um, we heard about an indivisible group that was getting started, and there was a meeting in Eau Claire, and I went, and there were tons of people there. And I happened to know the person who was running it, Bill Hogseth. He was really organized and ran a really great meeting. And if you've been involved in a lot of things and a lot of political activism, I think you have done quite a bit. That's my understanding anyway. You understand that having somebody who is organized and also willing to involve a bunch of people and it's collaborative, it felt really good. So that was a big part of why I got involved, because it seemed like a good direction. We didn't have to come up with something from ground zero. And there was a really great group of people who were involved.
0: I want to tease out some of the essentials of Indivisible and the handbook that Peter found online. But I also want to understand where you were in terms of political or community activity involvement before Is this something you would put your feet in before? Is this the kind of thing that was already natural for you? So
1: I grew up with really politically activist parents. I don't know if I should say really, but definitely more than most. I went to my first political rally. I remember going to Chicago for a Jesse Jackson rally when I was probably four or five, maybe even three, because it would have probably been nineteen eighty. And my parents were involved in peace and justice action groups in southwestern Wisconsin. And we held, you know, I remember singing anti war songs on the city council steps and having anti Iraq war marches. I've gone to the School of America's protests down in Georgia. My mom was part of a. UCC, which is the United Church of Christ delegation to El Salvador in the 80s, 86, 85, I think. She accompanied people who were on death lists. She met the priests who were murdered shortly after, some of the priests who were murdered shortly after she visited there. So I have always been pretty politically aware and fairly politically active. I have voted in every election that I knew that I could vote in. (laughs) And I was part of the Teaching Assistant Association in Madison when I was a grad student. So I was a union steward, and I was on the organizing committee, and I was very much, I felt like if I was going to be affected by the rules that were being created by the union, that I should be involved. And that's how I met my husband, actually. We were in a lot of meetings together. (laughs) So I I would say I wasn't politically inactive. I was definitely politically aware, but I wasn't, I wasn't making phone calls. I wasn't knocking on doors and I hadn't found a good way to try to get another voice out there locally, other than supporting candidates and maybe posting something about them on Facebook.
0: Well, indivisible Chippewa Valley has been going for what, an, a year and a quarter already. At this point, the energy's changed. One of the comments that I heard recently is that we're in danger of accepting the new norm. Things have moved so far that we just we're used to the fact that there's going to be outrageous things. By our standards every day and it's hard to sustain a level of outrage when the world is insane it's hard to react to a particular insane thing individually what's been your progress in this year and a quarter with indivisible
1: that is definitely a sense that i get to and we were worried about burnout from the beginning How could we sustain a level of engagement? Partly because we were just so emotionally, I almost want to say damaged. I mean, it was really, there were some people who it was really, the election of Donald Trump was really traumatic. I found myself having to shut off the news and not listen to the news for a long time. I've started my continual consumption of national public radio, (laughs) but We've definitely changed. So I would say the first year we were interested in rallies and events, we did a big event at the Eau Claire's Fest, which was just a citizen engagement event. We had a tent there and we had t-shirts for sale and we made buttons and we had a whole bunch of info sheets on topics of interest and we were inviting people to write or call their senators. We had a little phone booth with an internet connection that it was a prop from a a stage prop, but it looked good and we had a phone mounted in there and you could call your Senator or your congressperson, talk to them about something that you cared about. And we had, we got a lot of really positive feedback on that and we're planning on doing that again. And then we started talking about leadership. How, how do we sustain this? Cause Bill was kind of, uh, he was definitely the organizer and the person behind it. And we knew that it would be hard to sustain as much momentum for a long time. And then we started, we started realizing that we wanted to work on something specific. And Bill has really changed his efforts toward the Chippewa Valley Votes work. Um, That's a nonpartisan group that the idea sort of came out of indivisible work, but we didn't want it to be indivisible because we wanted everybody to feel like they could support it. And Indivisible's start was an anti-President Trump resist idea. And so he's been focusing a lot more on that lately. And that has sort of been, so that's sort of indivisible, not officially indivisible we're now Anne Francis has stepped in. We did a workshop of trying to figure out a new leadership structure where somebody would. There were overlapping spheres, and different people would be involved in the overlapping spheres. And I don't think that that has actually worked very well. We have been doing some social gatherings. We know that maintaining a movement. Requires social ties. So we've been doing some social gatherings. We had some letter writing parties and we still continue to do those. But there was a lot of momentum around the election on April 3rd. And now I think we've taken a little bit of a breather and we'll get back to figuring out exactly what Indivisible is going to be doing right now. We'll have to reconvene and figure out what our what our strategy moving forward is. I do know that we're planning on doing another event at the Eau Claire's Fest, another citizen engagement thing. There's a book study group that has been involved, and there were some political books that we read, and then some sort of organizing books, and some how do we share our ideas. And there was, I think, a switch from we have to resist Trump to we need to talk to people we don't agree with and make social ties so it's not an us versus them. So I think we have evolved in part because of conversations that have happened in that book group. We realized that the resisting part might not be as important as the talking to people who we don't necessarily agree with, so that it's not an us versus them and that we can find common ground. We've been talking about trying to have some dinners or ideological purple dinners, I think is what we've been trying to call them. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, but we've been talking about doing that, too. We did do some letter writing to the editors. We had some letters that we compiled and, and would send off. I actually have done that a lot more. That was part of what I did for Indivisible, writing letters to the editors, the Capital Cap Times, and letters to the editor here in Eau Claire.
0: Folks, we're speaking with Rachel Hart Brinson, who is media liaison for Indivisible Chippewa Valley, which is an affiliate of the National Indivisible Organization. Locally, their website is indivisiblechippewavalley.wordpress.com. The link's on nordenspiritradio.org. There's also the national one, which is org. You can follow either one of those links from our site, and you can learn more about them yourselves. Again, there's a handbook there that kind of lays out. It was put out by some former congressional staffers who brought it together, and what I read online was that it was supposed to be in the footprints, shall we say, of the Tea Party. That is to say, how do you stage a movement which is going to move the national conversation? And one of the questions I had for you, Rachel, is, is about partisanship. You mentioned that Bill Hogseth is working with the Votes Organization because voting is important, and that's a nonpartisan statement. On the other hand, it has appeared in the past, as certainly as of 2010, that the Tea Party, who who represented the far, far right end of the Republican Party, and which has moved the party as a whole, that they've really transformed the national conversation. Indivisible, I think, aimed to do the same thing, maybe with more of a leftward focus. Is it partisan in the same way? Is it only democratic?
1: That's a really good question. We talked about resisting Trump. I mean, we made T-shirts that said, I resisted today. We have stickers that say, I resisted Chippewa Valley. (laughs) Um, So the idea when we first started was, I think, in a way, pretty partisan, except we didn't want to have the nasty tactics that the Tea Party did. We didn't want to spit in people's faces. We didn't want to have people be nasty to each other. So it was sort of tea party tactics, but nice. So <laughs> I think that was, that was part of it. But part of what was successful for the tea party was that they established social ties and groups of accountability that created a conversation about what their values were and what were important and created a story. So that's one of the things we wanted to do was create social ties. Also, to show up. I mean, the story that those congressional staffers wrote in the handbook for Indivisible was that the Tea Party was really small. It was really small. There were only 30 or 40 groups throughout the whole country, and yet they were making a stink and making the media follow them. And so they really changed the conversation because they were showing up and making a lot of noise. So we wanted to make sure that we knew what was going on and that we were showing up.
0: You said two things, Rachel, that I wonder if they're at odds with each other. And I I wonder if it's possible to do the agenda of Indivisible and stay true to these. One is you said you're like the tea party, but nice. And then what you just said was that they were making a stink and making the media follow them how do you make a stink and still be nice i think that there's a at odds struggle there that goes on and and i think it's been one of the it's one of the problems with the left as soon as someone says and there's been ann coulter and other people she'll lambast the left as soon as anyone raises their voice even a smidgen, she'll say oh you're offensive whereas ann coulter and a number of her cohorts are as offensive as i've ever seen in politics and i've been involved since i was in high school back in the late 60s so all of that being said, is it possible to be nice and be effective at making a stink?
1: It's a good question. And it's one of the questions that we were asking ourselves and one of this, you know, sort of the evolving discourse of do we need to just talk to people who we don't agree with? How do we talk to the rural experience more? How do we talk to people who aren't in our usual social circles? And that's being nice, kind of. But at the same time, how do we show up and be heard? And the strategy was not to shout down people at meetings, but to show up at meetings and to be coordinated and wear the same color and have signs that you held up. And I saw press covering that. And I do think that was fairly effective. And I also think that one of the things about Indivisible is it really increased citizen engagement and civic involvement. You might have noticed how many people were running for city council here in Eau Claire. So I know there wasn't as much engagement maybe in rural areas, but here in Eau Claire, I think, I know at least one of the people who was running for city council, did it because she had been involved in Indivisible and wanted to do something more. And I think that has been effective in a way. I'm hoping that there are social ties and that this can be considered sort of a social movement for our area, at least. But I don't know what's going to happen.
0: Well, what you mentioned, Emily Berkey being on the city council now, clerk of the Quaker meeting I'm part of is on the county board and there's been a number there's been major changes that way but one of the things I fear and maybe you can comment on this and I guess I also need to hear Rachel where you get your sense of community is it indivisible or is it some other place is it just your family you know that a lot of people have community on a very small level but the circle of we that it includes is defined very differently from person to person. So one of the things I think is easy, when the definition of the job is oppose, resist, that's actually easier to do than to build together. So what's your sense of where community and that kind of strength? And it's a marathon to really make change in this world. Where do you get that? Where do you see that coming with respect to Indivisible Chippewa Valley?
1: We talked about that a lot as a leadership team. You know, how do we, how do we maintain energy? How do we move from a against something to a for something? Because once you move to a for something, you don't have as many people who are all on the same page and it's not as visceral and immediate and important a thing as opposed to, oh my gosh, there's this person in the White House who is for everything that I'm against, which is what it felt like for a lot of us who got involved with Chippewa Valley Indivisible. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, there's the listening, there's the making sure you have good leaders, there's a making sure you take time out to have fun and eat good food together and listen to each other and spend time with each other at the park or making phone calls to your representatives and, and having real conversations about policy. I mean, policy oftentimes makes people's eyes glaze over, but policy is what makes a difference. The physical reality of differences in what policy can do is why I went to graduate school. I was an environmental educator in North Carolina on a a barrier island. There were three different municipalities on that island. One municipality was just concrete and businesses, and one municipality was single family homes where you couldn't even see them because they had really strict rules about how much natural vegetation you could cut on the island. And the last one was beach houses about two feet away from each other. And the difference between those three places on the same island was fascinating to me. It was all about policy. It was all about what the rules were in those places and what the people who lived there wanted their surroundings to be or the people who were there who what kind of money they wanted to make and they were making the decisions. So I think it's really important to remember that policy is, is what drives our reality and what we live in. How you work toward something and for something, that's a really good question because you can have the same vision on what you want the end result to be and different ideas on how to get there. And I think that's a big issue just in politics in general right now.
0: Just so folks understand, I've known Rachel Hart Brinson for a few years now, ever since she became involved with the Food Buying Club I'm part of, the Fat Oat Food Buying Club. She's also on the board of Just Local Food Cooperative here in town. And I think both of those ways are excellent venues for creating community, for nurturing, for saying, here's what we're in favor of. Are there other parts of your life that I should be aware of where you find and make community and where you can bring people together for the future?
1: Yes, I am part of the First Congregational United Church of Christ. Um, And I'm involved in various things there. I sing in the choir under the direction of Gary Schwartzhoff. And I'm also on the, we have a nine to dine group is what we call it. It's a group of people who get together and, make meals together and there are four families that get together and the kids go to one house and the church pays for a babysitter and we go to another house and we make food and enjoy each other's company and that has been a really great way to create community. I also am part of Jonah which is Joining Our Neighbors Advancing Hope and there are different congregations, faith congregations in Eau Claire that are part of Jonah and then there are overall task forces Um, So each congregation might have their own Jonah committee, but then the Jonah organization also has task forces that anybody can be involved in, and they work on the environment, immigration, criminal justice reform, and we're working on adding a new one on affordable housing. We just held a forum. Actually, it was the second part of a series on affordable housing, and we had about 75 people there. This partly started when Matthew Desmond came to town last year in October, and we had a discussion about the book Evicted. Matthew Desmond is actually a personal friend of ours, and we're really proud of the work he's been doing to talk about eviction and homelessness and the effect it has on society and communities. It's really impactful in a very negative way. So I'm part of trying to build community in that aspect as well.
0: You didn't even mention the community garden, and I'm sure there's other places where you circulate, and it's all part of building community, planting seeds, watching them grow. Uh, There was one other Indivisible Chippewa Valley event that I wanted to mention about. I was present for it. It was a nonviolence training with James Handley, who's a professor at UW-Stout. It was an excellent training, an excellent start to that But I thought, particularly since it was sponsored by Indivisible, it would be interesting to know the history of what led to that event being held. Could you share a little bit of that, Rachel?
1: Sure. I unfortunately was not able to attend that training, but one of the things we did over the course of the year last year was to do some leadership discernment, (laughs) I guess you might say. We had done some sort of goal-setting and priority-setting over the year in a couple of retreats. One of the things that came out of that was nonviolence training. And I think when we started talking about talking with the, the other, with other people, so when we were talking about how to be effective in resisting and how do you interact with people who you don't agree with, we thought it would be a valuable resource for people and something that was new and we also were thinking about you know Martin Luther King Jr and his how long it took for him for that civil rights movement to make headway and they had to do a lot of resisting and a lot of nonviolent action so we were eyeing that long haul as well and wanting to share the skills i also think that there were there were some there were some rallies by fascist Nazi groups that were scheduled in this area. And we wanted to be able to effectively protest those as well. Um, I don't think they ever actually happened, but we still held the training anyway.
0: Well, Rachel, I love the way that you're active. co-ops have been near and dear to my heart forever and a day, since I first joined one back in 1976, January. It's been a, a central, and it's it's part of community building, the community garden, the way that you're active in so many ways, nurturing the community and nurturing your family. It's, it's not neither or, it's in fact the best of. And First Congregational is a great congregation and the way that they provide so much good and blessed energy, I think, for the entire city and the entire region of the state. It's wonderful to see you being part of that energy, passing it on, in particular, bringing the energy of Indivisible here in Chippewa Valley. Thank you so much for all of that work and for joining me today for Spirit and Action. Thank you, Mark. I met with Rachel Hart Brinson, handling communications for Indivisible Chippewa Valley, clearly a gifted and dedicated worker. And we'll go on to another guest shortly, but first I want to thank you again for joining us for Spirit in Action of Northern Spirit Radio. On the web, NorthernSpiritRadio.org closing in on 13 years of programs, links to guests, and hopefully comments from you about these programs. And don't forget the donate button via which we fund this full-time work exclusively, no money from corporations or government. Our biggest thanks go to the 33 stations nationwide who carry Norton Spirit radio programs. And please show your appreciation immediately for the invaluable news and music they provide to you. They're the best, So please show them that you know it with a donation. Also, please answer the listener survey that you'll find on the Nordenspiritradio.org website. Pretty please. And be in our drawing as well. But on to our second Indivisible guest today. I'm just getting to know her because she's relatively new to the post of Fearless Leader. They don't have an accepted title for the post at the moment, being in transition. But her name is Anne Francis. Anne has been in the area for about a year, having lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, Madison, Wisconsin, and Denver, Colorado along the way. And she's charged up to connect people in the kind of powerful action shared by thousands of local Indivisible groups scattered all over the country. Hopefully in your town, wherever you're hearing this. Anne Francis of Indivisible Chippewa Valley joins us in person today. Anne, thank you so much for joining me for Spirit in Action.
2: No problem, Art. Good to be here today.
0: I understand that you ascended to the throne of Indivisible Chippewa Valley just recently. Could you give me a little bit of the timeline of your involvement with Indivisible overall and here in the Chippewa Valley?
2: Yeah, I um, lived in Denver before here. And of course, after Trump was elected, I was looking at how to get involved with something because I was, of course, in depression And I found Indivisible out there and just followed their Facebook page, didn't really get involved in Denver. And then when I moved to Wisconsin one year ago, I was looking for Indivisible here in this area, and I ended up finding the Citizen Summit that they did last fall. So that was really my first time being involved with Indivisible. And then I... It kind of, there wasn't a lot going on with it because Bill started Chippewa Valley Votes. That's what he decided to put his efforts toward. And so no one was really taking over Indivisible here. And I decided that I could do it. I had the time to do it. And I didn't want the group to fall apart because it was a big group and they'd done a lot of really great things. And there's still a lot of stuff to do. So it was about probably, geez, three months ago at the most that I started with Indivisible.
0: And maybe, Anne, I should step back a little bit further. Politically, have you been active? I think there are a number of people who have been non-participants in the electoral and the political system until they saw something that seemed to them so mistaken, so problematic as Donald Trump's election, that they actually decided to get involved. So, I'm curious about what issues, what policies, what kind of change in the country is important to you, and historically, have you been active as well?
2: I definitely grew up in a politically active home. My mom was really involved in politics, and then i was I was involved all through college and then with Obama. But after that, I definitely fell off the radar. I think I just got comfortable with stuff and didn't, and just kind of quit paying attention. And I wasn't super excited about Clinton. I was more of a Bernie fan, but definitely did support Clinton. And then after Trump was elected, I, I honestly couldn't believe it. So that was definitely the turning point for me needing to get involved again and use my voice and just get up. Someone's got to do the work so that Trump doesn't do more damage.
0: And what kind of issues, what kind of policies are important to you? What are the big aspirations, I guess, that lead you? And I'm, I'm not particularly interested in being partisan, although sometimes because of the policies that are important to me, that does mean that I end up in one camp more than the other. But I'm curious about what's leading you, motivating you, driving you, and how that connects with indivisible.
2: I am definitely driven by social justice issues, and I think that you know, indivisible was that group that did resist Trump and just being loud and and letting Trump and the supporters know that we're paying attention and we aren't going to allow them to treat our friends poorly or to make them feel like they aren't welcome in our country. And I, I think that's the main thing that does drive me. I can't stand by why people are being treated awful by the Trump agenda. And I think Indivisible is definitely like that, too.
0: For those who haven't been exposed to the Indivisible idea, I mean, it was former Democratic staffers who put together the first paper, the the thing that's on Indivisible.org. You can go look it up. They're definitely Democrats. Is this a Democrat thing or is it somehow a bigger tent than that?
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a bigger tent. I really think a lot of people who were just kind of disenfranchised with the Democratic Party wanted to find a place to be with people with similar values. And that's why Indivisible, all these groups sprouted up is because people wanted to do something, but they just didn't feel they could do it within the Democratic Party, which is problematic for the Democratic Party. But I sense that it's coming together again. Because even when you watch other indivisible groups and stuff, they are starting to do things with the Democratic Party more. And it's being more inclusive with that rather than going out on their own. But I do overall think it's a bigger tent. And I I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now is how do we take this group of people and keep them engaged? And where do we plug in so that we can keep this momentum and keep this desire to make a difference going. That's kind of the, that's, that's the challenge now. That's the fun part to figure out.
0: You mentioned, Ann, that your first activity, your first connection here with the Chippewa Valley Group of Indivisible was with their Citizen Summit. And that was happening the same night. I was across the street, more or less, acting as an MC for Mike McCabe, one of the people running for governor here, or running for the Democratic nomination for governor. Erica Zerr was there for a little while, and she had to run back over to the Citizen Summit. What was the Citizen Summit? How did that work? What came out of it? Why is a Citizen Summit necessary?
2: I was excited about the Citizen Summit when I saw it because, well, I was new to the area and I wanted to meet people, like-minded people, um, and just ways that I could plug in and actually not just be mad about stuff or upset, but make a difference and make changes. I enjoyed the Citizen Summit a lot, and there were really good topics that were discussed. One of them was the voting stuff, which I got involved with that too. It's just nice to know what's going on. And after the Citizen Summit, I think that that is where Indivisible fell short, is just keeping that momentum from that summit and, and knowing what the next step was. So it was great in, in showing what we're capable of doing and how we're capable of pulling all these groups of people together just to build on the momentum. So I think it was a, a good thing to show that we can do that.
0: I'm afraid I still need some more of the nuts and bolts of how a citizen summit works. Is this just one room where people are talking? You're talking in separate issues in different rooms. How is it structures? Who's leading? Can anyone jump in? What kind of structure were you using to implement the citizen summit?
2: So the Citizen Summit did invite lots of the other organizations, progressive organizations in the area. And then there were breakout sessions during the day. So there were all kinds of topics, social media, the voting. It was a good way to bring all those organizations together. And I I think so that they could learn about what each other do, too. And the organizers from those groups could bounce ideas off of each other. So there were some speakers there. There was a the legislative update team was there to give the legislative update for Indivisible which they do every week, three volunteers that do that. There was a panel with those discussions. So there weren't actual decisions made at the Citizen Summit about anything. It was it was more just sharing of information.
0: Evidently, what you saw there did get you energized, feeling like you wanted to be part of this particular energy. Any particular topics or moments that galvanized you said, yeah, that's where I want to direct my energy?
2: Yeah, actually, that's a great question because there there was Tammy Baldwin, one of her field organizers, was a speaker. And she showed some statistics about from the Virginia election. It proved that knocking on doors is what gets people out to vote, and that's how you win elections, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I actually went up to one of the organizers at that event, one of the indivisible organizers, and just said, hey, I want to do this. Why can't we get a group of people and go to small towns and knock on doors and start winning all these little elections? Because, I mean, these elections can be won by you know 20 votes or 10 votes in some of these small towns. And she gave me a card, and we ended up getting together for coffee. And then that's how I really got involved in Indivisible. And then from there, I met Bill, who was the first organizer for Indivisible here. And then that's how I ultimately ended up being part of Indivisible. And from there, I got involved with a lot of the local elections because that's what I'm passionate about. I mean, one of the goals of Indivisible from a survey that was taken was to elect progressives and from that speech i knew that to elect progressives we needed to be out knocking on doors for all these little elections and how important that is so that was i would i would say grab my attention
0: i'd note that you lived in lincoln nebraska you lived in madison wisconsin denver colorado And now you're in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is, I think, smaller than any of the rest of those. Lincoln isn't terribly big. But given our past spring elections, which had this progressive wave that occupied both the city council and the county board, there's almost a a mini earthquake, at least, that went on, a tectonic shift. So my question is, why is Eau Claire the best of those four localities where you lived? And you don't actually have to agree with me.
2: No, oh Claire, it is the favorite my favorite place I've lived. And a lot of it is the size. It's pretty easy to get involved if you just make a little bit of an effort in politics. And what's even more exciting is you can see the changes happening pretty fast. So, the spring elections were a great example of that. We figured out how to coordinate a lot of the people running for office. And just coordinate our efforts and get it super organized. And we had it down to art what was going to happen every weekend. We had meetings as like a support system for the candidates so they could bounce ideas off of each other and just be supportive because it's stressful to run for office. And we knocked on more doors in Eau Claire than, well, in this region than anywhere in the state. Dane County ended up beating us by a little bit at the very last minute, but we knocked on over 9,000 doors just in the month of March, which is incredible for this area. It was really fun. So that's why I like living in Eau Claire, because you can definitely make an impact pretty quickly.
0: I told you earlier, Anne, that I'm a Quaker. One of the things that means is I don't really see the world in us-them dichotomies. It is true that most of my opinions, leanings, preferences are typically called liberal. You know, peace, equality, justice, all of those things are very near and dear, and it's essentially what makes me a Quaker. But the us-them dichotomy is so strong. Indivisible was actually drawn up kind of learning from what the Tea Party did. And now, Tea Party is considered to be a them from the point of view of most liberals. Is this a tent that can include in Tea Party across the spectrum, is it is it possible to include these people in the same tent?
2: It's a great question. I really think it is. As long as you have some of some similar values, I think that there's a place at the table for everybody. And we can always find something we agree on and something to be passionate about together. It's hard sometimes. That's always the biggest challenge is just how to bridge those differences. And everything's so divided right now. But I do think we can make that happen.
0: And so the natural next question is, so how are you going to be able to make that happen with Indivisible?
2: The thing I live by is you just have to show up. If you want a group of people or people to be involved, you have to start showing up to the things they're involved in too and be supportive of all those little groups and then invite them to things and have opportunities where we can all meet and and discuss issues. I do think it's just including people. And we've we even had some new volunteers in the spring elections who they kind of do come from different places in life. And one of them was actually from Expo, which is the ex-prisoners organizing he helped canvas and just what they say, you know, like this is the first time I felt like I was part of my democracy and I felt included. And I think that those are groups that aren't always asked to be involved in things because he can't even vote because he's still on paper. So just including all those groups of people and asking them and showing appreciation because they are appreciated, I think is an important first step for that.
0: Folks, we're speaking with Anne Francis. She is the fearless leader of Indivisible Chippewa Valley. I asked what name to address her by because I their structure is somewhat amorphous and in transition. Rachel told me that fearless leader was probably the best title for her. And I don't know that she's completely without fear, but I do know she has a big heart. And One of the things I wanted to ask you, Anne, was how you go about... Building the cohesiveness, how you build community, it's so crucial in terms of not having burnout, in terms of having people really bring their best selves forward. What's your sense about what Indivisible Chippewa Valley is doing about that? And what's part of your vision about what builds community?
2: I'm going to go back to my, you know, you can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. I think that's so important. And whenever I go talk to leaders and all these, when I say all these little communities, you know, it's the Hmong community and the black community and the minority communities and the ex-prisoners, all those people. When I say, how can I be supportive? The answer is always show up, show up to our events So I've been making a big effort to do that. And I've learned so much along the way. So I've been inviting people to go with me. And I feel that, you know, Indivisible is kind of at this weird spot because a lot of the people that were really involved aren't involved anymore. And so we're kind of have this new crop of people coming out of it. That's what we are making efforts to do to include people. And then You know, we're going to do our monthly mixer and make sure to personally reach out to all these groups of people and invite them so that they feel included. Because, you know, a lot of people, here's a good example. So the Hmong community, they just communicate differently than we do. So it's like, you can't just put stuff on Facebook or, you know, just send out an email because a lot of people won't get the message. So you have to personally call the Hmong Association so that they can communicate with their community. And so it's just taking the time to go learn that and ask the questions and ask how we can be supportive rather than just assuming we know because we don't. That's what my vision for Indivisible is, is just making sure that we purposely go out and invite people to be involved and then show them that once you get involved, you can make changes. If you don't like a policy or you don't like something that affects you, we can change it. And I know that they, for an example, the ex-prisoners want to stop the fourth pod and instead turn it, do something more treatment oriented and change how we funnel those funds. So we're helping. I've been meeting with them too, and just trying to figure out a way how to go about that, how to organize and just show them, you know, we have to show up to the county board meetings. We have to do things to voice your opinion and show them how to do that. Because a lot of people don't know. So that's kind of how I want Indivisible, how I envision it to be as we go forward.
0: I usually think of myself as pretty well-educated, but fourth pod, I don't think that's a term I've heard before. What is that referring to?
2: The fourth pod is the, the jail expansion. It's opening up the other floor. So they would rather divert the funds that it would cost for that into more effective things such as treatment.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, so the fourth branch, the fourth area of the new jail that was just built several years ago. I do want to understand a little bit more about Anne Francis and where she comes from, in particular your experience with community. Again, Lincoln, Madison, Denver are places that you've lived, and now you're in Eau Claire. What has been your experience for what cements communities in the places you've been? What community circles have you felt like you really belonged in? And how is that transferable here?
2: Well, I mostly want to talk about Eau Claire when I talk about sense of community, because honestly, this is the like first place I've lived that I've really felt a part of the community, like really, truly felt a part. And the reason is because there's been people that have invited me and included me in not just you know, stuff on the fringe, but actual important things. So, you know, I've met people, they're like, you ride your bike everywhere. You should go to the bicycle pedestrian advisory committee meetings. And so I went to one and then now I'm on that. So, you know, you just it it's like people notice things about you and invite you to things and you can get involved again because of the size of Eau Claire. And that's what I wanna always keep in mind is Making sure to invite people that might not be noticed by people or that people kind of don't pay attention to because that's what makes people feel like they're part of the community they have to be involved in the decision-making process, not just the result. And you have to get buy-in from everyone. And I know what made me feel like that. And if that made me feel like that, then other people are going to feel that same way. I think that that's what community is, is just including people and inviting them to important things.
0: Dan Francis has recently stepped to leadership position in the Indivisible Chippewa Valley group. People can start by going to dot com. link's on org. They can go there and find some things, but if they want to show up, how do they do that?
2: We're definitely most active on Facebook. That's the best place to find us, and we are I've mentioned this before, but we're going to be having our monthly mixer the first Thursday of every month at the Plus. And I believe we're still ironing out all the details because we're just getting going on this. Again, there's been a transition period with Indivisible. So we want to make sure to have one night a month where we know that we're going to have something going on. And anyone's welcome. And we're going to be definitely inviting all kinds of different people so we can discuss where we can best use our energy, so we definitely have a group of people that wants to do stuff, and when asked, there are people who show up
0: This program is aired nationally there's some thirty three stations nationwide that carry spirit in action, and so I am talking about indivisible Chippewa Valley, which happens to be where both you and I live. You said there was an Indivisible group in Denver before you moved here. I'm not quite sure how many Indivisible groups are nationally, but I'm pretty sure folks can check it out by going to indivisible.org and find the links to your local group. It's a really important movement. It's one that promises to lead to a really significant change in the United States, and it's something we need. I'm not advocating that all of you move to the Chippewa Valley, although it's a pretty wonderful place. I'm hoping that the inspiration that you have from Anne Francis, from Rachel Hart Brinson, and the other people involved in Indivisible, that it inspires you to make a change locally and make your community the best place it could be. Thank you for bringing your energy here from your peregrinations across the nation, Anne, and for joining me today for Spirit in
2: Action. Thanks, Mark. It was great to talk to you today, too.
0: A big thanks to Anne Francis, newly at the helm of Indivisible Chippewa Valley, and I want to give you one more glimpse of what the Indivisible organization has sponsored locally. They invited James Handley to do a training on nonviolent action, and I caught some significantly poor recordings of that workshop, and I'm going to share just a tiny bit of it so you get a taste of what Jim was presenting. I'll also voice over a few sharings from the audience at the workshop so you have a better chance of actually understanding what was said. Look for a somewhat larger glimpse of the work on the northernspiritradio.org website because I can only fit a part of this extract here today. Let's peek in at the workshop on nonviolent action sponsored by Indivisible Chippewa Valley presented by James Handley, peace studies teacher from the University of Wisconsin-Stout.
3: With an activist, you probably work with some really miserable people. <laughs> um, it, it, it can really burn people. People are Yeah, people that are miserable. People that thank you, thank you for correcting that. I gave a talk on John Lewis last spring. He came out with a graphic novel called March, which is really cool. And so I gave a talk on John Lewis, and one of the things that I said is that, you know. Activists, a lot of times, and especially in my position, students come to me and they're like, fire it up. Why well, I want to change the world, I want to do this. And two weeks later, they're like, Nah, that wasn't that cool. And we call those we call those activists firecrackers. You know, what we need are people that will keep that flame going through self-care. And John Lewis, you know, was on the Edmund Pettus Bridge organizing in Selma in 1964. And just two years ago, he let us sit-in on the on the House chambers in Washington, DC. And the dude is 71 years old. I mean, that that's what we need. We need people that will stick around. Before we get into the heart of that, I just wanted to talk about the, the levels of conflict because this is really important, I think, for our social conditions right now. We need to think about the different levels of conflict and how to go from one to another, and what are the strategies to go from one to another? So on page five, can someone please read that first level of conflict?
0: Normal level occurs as a result of normal daily life pressures, may be caused by bills, budgets, and different role expectations, where one stands in the pecking order.
3: We have conflict every day. Look, if if I go to the store with my daughter and she wants a new sweater and I say no, we have conflict. Now, that's not a bad thing. First of all, she's advocating for herself. I'm advocating for my checking account. And I'm saying no. That's normal. You have conflicts internally. Especially now that the weather's getting cool, and you're under that down comforter, and your alarm goes off. That's conflict right there. (laughs) But that's normal. We have conflict. You and I disagree on something. If you're my yuka partner and you screw up, we'll have conflict between us. But that's a different story. Can someone read the second one?
0: Pervasive level. An atmosphere charged with tensions and emotion in which conflict can be expected to erupt at any moment. A pervasive climate is the result of multiple pressures which push the conflict beyond the normal level. It may also be the result of accumulation of minor disagreements that have never been resolved.
3: So how about this? Let's say I get pulled over for a tailing, or I get pulled over for some small thing. Well, now I'm kind of engaged in a conflict, I don't want a ticket, the police officer might want to give me a ticket, but that's normal, and we can deal with that. Let's say I get pulled over way more than I should be getting pulled over, and maybe it's because of my identity. Well, now we've gone from normal to pervasive, where it kind of fills the air, where now, before that police officer gets up to my window, I'm steamed, and I'm thinking that this isn't fair, that this isn't just, and that the police officer and I, that you can feel the tension in the air. So my daughter, we get in the car, we're going to the store, she knows she's going to ask for a sweater and she knows I'm And we have conflict, maybe we don't even talk, but we have conflict with one another. And it kind of fills the air. That's pervasive. So if you and I are playing a game, you and I—I I don't know if you like play, play croquet. You know what I'm talking about. I love croquet.
0: Here a somewhat longer segment of the nonviolent training workshop on NorthernSpiritRadio.org. Again, that was James Handley, teacher of peace studies at UW Stout, in the workshop sponsored by Indivisible Chippewa Valley. Look up or start your own local Indivisible Group, and let's make this country as good as we can, together. Thanks to Anne Francis and Rachel Hart Brinson for joining us today. Remember to fill out the listener survey on Nordenspiritradio.org so that you can be in our drawing, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. We will move this world along And our lives will feel the echo